In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, good evening, everybody, and I just want to start by uh, thanking Pastor Jimenez and also Mrs. Jimenez for all the hospitality, not just uh, this past week but and this trip, but just over the years, just all the blessings we've been given, and I could say a lot of things I talked about a little bit on Sunday, but we're just very excited to be around our church family again, and you know, we consider this our church family. There's always a piece of our heart that is still here. We were here for many years and, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because I see the video, I see the faces of the people that, you know, I do ministry with now, and I almost cried. I tried not to. And uh, then I see everybody here. It's kind of a similar feeling just because I miss everybody here so much. And so um, I'm going to preach a sermon to you tonight about missions. The name of the sermon is A New IFB Strategy of Sending Missionaries and Church Planning. A New IFB Strategy of Sending Missionaries and Church Planning. Let me just start with Uh, These verses in Matthew 28 is introduction. And notice what it says here in verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, before Jesus went back to heaven, there's many different places. The end of Mark chapter 16 in Acts chapter 1, where he kind of gives a final call towards soul winning. And we see that here in Matthew chapter 28, but we don't just see soul winning. We see what is called the Great Commission. And it's not just getting people saved, but you also see getting people baptized and teaching them to observe all things. And what it says there in verse number 19 is teach all nations. Teach all nations, meaning all of the nations of the world. So what's implied there is also this idea of church planting. Okay, go to Acts chapter 1, Acts 1. Now, here's the thing. I think missions trips are a great thing. We have a missions trip in February in the Philippines, which I'm sure a lot of people here might be attending, and they are a great thing, but honestly, they're not really a fulfillment of the Great Commission, because if you want to properly fulfill the Great Commission, it's not just getting a bunch of people saved. It's not just getting a bunch of people saved and then getting them baptized, because at missions trips, we do have a lot of baptisms, but it is also teaching them to observe all things. It's also teaching the Word of God so people's lives are changed. I could stand up here tonight and just tell you stories about how the lives of those people have been changed through five years of ministry. People's lives get changed by the Word of God. And if you're here tonight and you've been with this church for a while, I think you'd say, hey, my life is different as a result of Verity Baptist Church. I learned how to be a good husband. I learned how to be a good wife, how to be a good father, how to be a good mother. I learned how to have character. I learned how not to have bitterness, not to have envy. I learned things that changed my life. It made me better at my secular job. It made me a better person. It helped my relationships. You know, the word of God preached week after week. It changes people's lives. And as great as missions trips are, they're not a full fulfillment of the Great Commission. They're amazing. They're awesome. They revitalize you. They make you excited. And I hope you're there in February. But they're not fulfilling the Great Commission fully. You say, why? Because you've got to baptize the converts and then teach them to observe all things. Now, let me also say this in in the introduction. As I'm preaching about being a missionary in church planning, I am not trying to criticize or attack other missionaries that are out there on the field. You know, obviously, the way we do things at Verity Baptist Church is often very different than the way other Baptist churches do things. We don't really believe in the process of deputation, which is basically two years of going from church to church and trying to get support. But, you know, there's pastors and missionaries 
They did that, and they're doing a great work, and praise God for it. Okay, We're not attacking them. We're not criticizing them. If they're preaching the right gospel and preaching hard against sin, then praise the Lord for it. But as we're, we're explaining a strategy, we're not going to say, well, go to Bible college or go to deputation. We're going to show you what the Bible says about sending missionaries and also planting churches. And this is a church that has planted many churches through the years. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, you know, this is a common phrase in Baptist churches. Even Pastor Amen has mentioned it on Sunday. He talked about reaching our Jerusalem. And the idea in this verse is you start in your local area and then you branch out. And doesn't that make logical sense? You start in your Jerusalem, which would be Sacramento for you here tonight, and then you slowly reach out and start churches in Fresno. And you slowly reach out and start churches all over the world. Now, of course, one church cannot really fulfill Acts 1-8 by themselves. One church is not going to plant 100,000 churches all over the world. But if every church gets this mindset that, you know, we're not just going to be complacent, but we want to duplicate... And maybe we start three churches through, through the course of 40 years and other churches do the same. Then you can start reaching areas all over the world. But it's very much a team effort and every church should have this attitude. You know, we're thankful for what we've been blessed with, but we also want to use this to reach out to other areas. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Now, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives these words in it's only a small group of people here. It's not thousands of people. It's not a million people. I mean, it's a group of people and they're supposed to reach the entire world. How is that possible? Well, what you do is you build up your local Jerusalem and then you branch out and build up that area and you slowly branch out. And point number one is this. When it comes to church planning and sending missionaries, the first step is the pastor of a strong and stable local church. Because the pastor is going to be the one to ordain people to the mission field or ordain people as pastors and evangelists. And it starts with the pastor of a church that is strong and stable. Because here's the thing. If this church was running just 10 people, it's not really in a place to start other churches, right? It needs to become strong and stable. And when I say strong and stable, part of that is the attendance. But let's be honest, when it comes to church planning, there's also something called finances, now, we don't talk about money a whole lot around here. Pastor Menes doesn't talk about money a whole lot, but let's be honest, when you do ministry and you do events and you do things, I mean, it costs money. It's not just time. It also costs money. And so a church, before they're going to start other churches, they have to become strong and stable. And part of that is just financially being stable. Strong with attendance, financially stable. People that are dedicated to their local church. And if not, then you're not really in a place to start other churches. Now, here's the thing. There's churches that are kind of newer churches or they're not at that place. This is not an attack on them because when this church started, it wasn't in a position to reach the world with the gospel. It's like all you can focus on is your Jerusalem. But with the mindset, eventually we want to be able to fulfill Acts 1-8 and branch out and start churches in other places. And then after, you know, five or six years, you had Verity Baptist Church Vancouver. And now it's a powerhouse church that is also multiplying itself 
But you start by becoming strong and stable as a local church, the pastor of a strong and stable local church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts 2, verse 41. The Bible reads in Acts 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, here it speaks about them going out and preaching the gospel, and one misconception is this idea that 3,000 people got saved, but in reality, it doesn't tell you how many people got saved. It tells you how many people got saved and followed the Lord in believers' baptism. Because it talks about those that gladly receive the word. Remember, the Bible speaks about receiving the word with joy. You don't have to receive the word with joy to be saved. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. However, the proof of whether or not you're really glad and joyful is, are you actually following the steps of God after you get saved? And if you're at this church tonight, you know what I know? That you are following the steps. Because if you didn't want to follow God, there's many churches that you could go to. And quite honestly, you probably wouldn't even go to a midweek service if you didn't want to serve God. But you're here because you not only received the message of salvation, but you gladly received it. And you said, you know what? Even if I get rebuked, I want to hear the word of God to change my life. And so 3,000 people, they got saved and they followed in baptism. Then it says here in verse number 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What the Bible's saying is they joined the church. They came to hear the doctrine. They came for the fellowship events. They came and got to know people. These are people that got saved and baptized and joined the church. So this is a church that's gone from a a, a smaller amount to thousands overnight. Now look, in 2023, this church is not going to be running thousands of people in another week. Obviously, this is a very special time, and we're not expecting 3,000 people to join the church overnight. At the same time, though, you can still get people saved the old-fashioned way of preaching the gospel and bringing them to church. There are people in this church, you didn't get saved through the online ministry. You didn't move here because of the online ministry. Praise the Lord for the online ministry. But, you know, you can actually start loving God from your local community. You get saved and join the church. There are people in that video you watched, and we got them saved going door-to-door soul winning. And they joined the church. They started reading the Bible. They're soul winners themselves. And honestly, you would be shocked that they've only been saved for three or four years. You would think that they've been saved for like 20 years listening to online preaching. But in reality, they're just people from the local community, got saved, joined the church, and now they're getting people saved themselves. And the same thing can happen whether it's Sacramento or anywhere in the world. Bible says here in verse number 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. When it's saying added to the church, it's not saying being added to this universal body of believers. The Bible's speaking about a local New Testament church. And these people join the local church. Now, remember in Acts 1, he said, I want you to reach Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, when you're a small group of people, you're not ready to do that. When you're running thousands, it's like, okay, let's start branching out. Let's start new churches. But is that what they did in the Bible? Not really. 
Not immediately. They should have because that's what Jesus said, but they don't really do that at the beginning. So it starts with step number one, the pastor of a strong and stable local church. Go to Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter five. And, you know, I'm primarily preaching on missions tonight, but at the same time, like 95% of this also applies to church planning, which is why I have the title like that. So whether it's sending missionaries or sending people out as pastors or starting churches, these things are very closely connected. We're talking about the idea of starting new churches. It starts with a pastor of a strong and stable local church, strong and stable with attendance, with finances, with loving God, with going soul winning, all of those things. But that's not good enough to start a church because you also need to send somebody, right? So you need a person to be sent, the pastor of a strong and stable local church, and then you need a person to be sent. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to sending somebody out to be an evangelist or a pastor, there are certain things that need to be known ahead of time. One thing that's important to realize is nobody self-ordains themselves. This is why you need the pastor of a strong and stable local church because nobody is meant to self-ordain or say, I've declared myself to be a pastor, right? You know, like in the Pentecostal movement, it's like a self-declared apostle or whatever. Self-declared modern-day son of God. That's what we got in the Philippines going on. Or self-declared, you know, modern-day prophet or whatever. No, nobody ordains themselves, okay? The Bible says here in Hebrews 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Verse three. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Now, this is not the exact same thing as someone being ordained as a pastor or an evangelist, but it's very closely connected because somebody is called of God, which is a biblical thing. Somebody is being ordained by somebody else. Nobody just self-ordains themselves. And so even going back to the Old Testament, we see this picture, no man taketh this honor onto himself. You know, it's an honor to be a pastor. It's an honor to be an evangelist. And you don't just take an honor onto yourself. And the Bible says also here in verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So even Jesus Christ himself, he didn't glorify himself, but it was God the Father that chose him for that. Go in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. We also see this picture with characters in the Old Testament like Adonijah. You see people that basically are self-declaring themselves to be the next king. Not chosen by King David to be the next king. Not the one that God chose. But they just said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to declare myself because King David didn't do it. And then, of course, Solomon's the one that's actually chosen. And you see what happens when someone self-declares themselves to be a leader. Right? Let me show you some more clear verses that talk about this in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The Bible speaks about the laying on of hands. And this is terminology in the Bible to ordain someone in the ministry. You say, why, Brother Stuckey, is that terminology? 
Well, think about people that have been ordained at this church. Don't you see Pastor Jimenez laying his hands on them and ordaining them into the ministry? And the Bible speaks about the gift that is given to the person that is ordained into the ministry. And what you're seeing is the pastor of a strong and stable local church is ordaining somebody. There is a person to be sent. The laying on of the hands of the presbytery, the spiritual leadership. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 5 verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. See, the Bible, what Paul's saying to Timothy is this. Timothy, when when you lay hands on somebody to the ministry and you ordain someone as a pastor or as an evangelist, don't do it suddenly or quickly. Meaning, it's not like somebody showed up to church last week and says, hey, I want to get ordained, and then we'll just ordain him. You say, why? Because you're going to be partaker of his sins. You say, what do you mean, Brother Stuckey? I'm saying that he's not actually going to be ready. He's going to think he's ready, but he's not going to be ready. Look, I'll be honest with you. When I was much younger, in my early 20s, I was zealous. I was excited. And if you had asked me, I would have felt like I'm ready to go. You know, I'd be ready to be a pastor right now. I'd be ready to lead a church. And now, you know, 15 years later, it's like, man, I was young and foolish. Everybody thinks they're ready when they're not. Everybody thinks a little bit too highly of themselves. Just kind of naturally, you get zealous and excited. You think you know everything. In reality, you don't. A great example in the Bible is Moses. You say, what are you talking about? When he was 40 years old, he thought the people would realize, hey, get behind me, I'll be the leader, right? 40 years later, he's like, I'm not ready for it. He thought he was ready at the age of 40, Then at the age of 80, he's like, man, I'm not ready. And God kind of had to push him into the ministry. And what the idea is that when a person has a desire to go into the ministry, which we'll talk about here in a minute, what takes place is it's not his decision really, hey, I'm ready, but really the pastor has to approve it and say, yeah, you know what, you are ready. Now, obviously that person has to be willing to go, but what I'm saying is you have the desire, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily ready. So the person being sent, they don't ordain themselves or declare, all right, I'm going to become a pastor now. But their pastor actually says, you know what? I'm ready to lay hands on you because you've done what is necessary. You're ready for the battlefield. And make no mistake, it is a battlefield when you go and start a church. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. Now, look, there's a lot of people that are young and zealous, and I'm not saying their heart's not in the right place. They're just unaware. It's kind of like when you raise kids, your kids think when they're teenagers, they're ready to conquer the world. And it's kind of like, well, you know, you still got a million things left to learn. But they think that they're ready when in reality, they're probably not, right? It's the same thing with going in the ministry, right? Or for example, somebody gets a four-year degree from college and they think they know just as much as the employees at the job. Then all of a sudden they get there and they realize, actually, you know what? I haven't even started the training that I thought I had. Right? First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The Bible says here, not a novice. Being a novice is not an insult. It just means someone who's a beginner. If you've been saved for less than a year, you're a novice. That's not an insult. It's not me saying that you're bad. It's not an insulting term. It's just saying someone who doesn't have a lot of experience. 
And the Bible's saying, and, and there's nothing wrong with people that don't have a lot of experience, but there's a problem if people go into the ministry that have never read their Bible. It's a problem if people go in the ministry and they don't have any experience in ministry of preaching sermons or running ministries or dealing with people. There's a problem and they're a novice and they're not ready. You know, one of the guys, I, I love telling this story. Maybe you've heard me say it in my, in my sermons in the Philippines. But one of the members of our church, he was part of a big Baptist church, you know, before he joined our church, you know, five years ago. And the church had hundreds of people and the pastor made a comment. You know, he asked, you know, who here has read their Bible cover to cover? And my friend who's at our church, you know, he raised his hand and then he noticed nobody else was raising their hand. And then he took his hand down because, you know, he's embarrassed. And there's like nobody. Now, here's the thing. If somebody's newly saved, then yeah, you probably haven't read the Bible cover to cover. But you've been saved for 20 years and you haven't. There's a problem. But that church was still sending some of those people out as pastors. And I'm not even joking when I say this. The majority of pastors in the Philippines are, have never read their Bible cover to cover, literally. And honestly, probably half of them are not even married, but they're pastors. It, I mean, it's insanity. I mean, you think it's bad here. I mean, it's insanity in the Philippines. It's always interesting to me. I'll have people that are 20 years old and, you know, they get excited. They listen to sermons online and, and their heart can be in the right place. But they say, you know, I'm pastor so-and-so. And I'm like, I'm brother Stucky. <laughs> but I'm thinking I'm more of a pastor than you. Right. But it's just like, they're like, I'm pastor so-and-so. It's like, you know, you're not even married. You're not even like close to that. You're only 20 years old, but you got your Bible college degree. And then immediately you're a pastor. You know, that's not the way churches are meant to be started. There's no doubt there's a need for churches. That, and, and look, at this church, there are a lot of men that really know their Bibles. A lot of men that love God. That doesn't mean, though, we just send 20 different men out tomorrow to start churches. That's not the way it's meant to be. Although things are wanting, they need to be done decently and in order. One of the requirements to go into the ministry is having a desire. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It is a good work that you desire the office of a bishop. And of course, the, the, the thing is, you better be desiring the work and not the title. Amen. But desiring the office of a bishop, you desire the work that's involved in that. And you know, that's a good thing. And when I was 19 years old, I can say, having been saved for less than a year, I felt a desire in my heart to go in the ministry, even though I didn't really fully know what that meant at that time. Now look, when we, when you, we use this expression, being called of God, it is a biblical term. How people use that term can be wrong. If people say I was called of God because I saw all these lights or I felt this, I mean, yeah, that's kind of strange. But having a desire is a necessity to go in the ministry. And here's the thing. If you don't have a desire, there is nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that I'm better than you. That doesn't mean that I'm going to get more rewards than you simply because you don't have a desire. It just means it isn't the role that God has for you. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that I'm going to just get more rewards than every single person at church because I'm an evangelist and you're not. I don't think it works that way because if you love God and are serving God and reading the Bible just as zealously as me and just as zealous to obey God's commandments, then you can get a ton of rewards in heaven just like anybody else because you're rewarded for the work that you do. But the Bible says in verse one, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. So you need to have a desire. You don't self-ordain, you need to have a desire. And then you see qualifications mentioned here starting at verse two. A bishop then must be blameless, 
the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach, not given a wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all, with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Go to Titus 1. Titus 1. See, the Bible says that before you run a church, you have to run your own house well, before you're a pastor. Now, of course, I'll be ordained as a pastor on Sunday, and the reason why I wasn't ordained as a pastor four years ago is because all we had was our son's F, and he was very young at that time. And I've never tried to say, I'm, you know, at, at church it's interesting in the Philippines because it's a very respectful culture, and so even if you're going soul winning, they'll say, oh, pastor, thank you very much. I mean, members of our church, they get called pastor all the time out soul winning. And sometimes people visit our church and they call me pastor. And I don't correct them because I'm not trying to be rude to them. They're a first-time visitor. They're trying to be respectful. But here's where I do correct people. We are a Catholic country, so oftentimes people come and say, Father Matthew. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, they can call me pastor, bishop, deacon, evangelist, whatever. But it's like, Father, it's like, oh, wait a minute, you know? I'm not your father, okay? <laughs> That's where I'm like, it's a little bit too far for me, okay? But anyways, turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus 1 verse 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given a wine, no striker, not given a filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now look, in my opinion, when you're looking for the president of a country, you should start with these qualifications. Because if you don't know how to rule your own house well, how are you going to run an entire nation? Now, obviously, in 2023, no nation uses this as a standard, but it's kind of like, how are you going to run a country if you can't run your own home? That's why I don't think any Christian should really get too obsessed with politics because, I'm sorry, these are not the godliest people in the world. But we see qualifications, and they're there for a reason. And the Bible says, you know, being the husband of one wife, having faithful children, and it gives you a long list of things. If someone has a desire to go in the ministry, you know what they should do personally? Look at this list and, and look at the things and be honest with themselves. Which of these things do I struggle with? And let me fix the problem. Let me fix it ahead of time. It's not saying being sinless, but it does say blameless. There's a difference there. None of us are sinless, but is there any specific thing where people would point to you and say, man, brother so-and-so, you know, he's got this major issue, and he's a nice guy, he does this and this, but man, he's, he's got a huge temper, always fighting with people, always yelling at people. Well, then you got a problem. And so if you've got an area, you want to be a pastor, you want to go in the ministry, and you've got an area that's not right, you know, fix that personal area. You say, why? Because those are the qualifications you must meet. So look, when it comes to sending someone into the mission field or starting churches, we're not seeing a Bible college here. We're, what we're seeing is local churches begetting other churches. Amen. We're seeing the pastor of a strong and stable local church that is basically sending people from the church that have proven themselves to be ready. And here's the thing. The reason why it's so important to come out of the local church is because churches beget churches, 
but also because when you're in the local church, the pastor can actually pay attention and give you opportunities and see if you're doing it. It's not just about getting a degree where you're declared ready, but actually being a member of a church because what you're going to be doing is starting a church. So can you actually operate within a church and run ministries? And I'll be honest, the ministry is stressful. Even when I was not in the Philippines, being here sometimes was stressful, right? And, and you know, for example, you know, when you're pairing people up for soul winning, right? All my past experiences are coming out. You got it ready. It's good. You're relaxed. And then that last person walks in. It's like, or, you know, it's like you think somebody has a car and they don't. And it's just like, and you say, well, it's just easy. Just, you know, it's not always very easy to fix. Right, and I was impressed the other day with Brother Shaw that he just, you know, very calmly made the change. I was thinking, man, I, I don't take things that calmly, you know. It's like, it gets stressful when you've got a last-second change. It's just not that easy, especially as you're sending out over 100 soul winners. It's hard enough when there's like 40 soul winners or 50. You're sending out 100. It's not that easy just to make a small change necessarily, right? But see, when you're in a church and you're serving in ministries, you know, you get tested and you prove whether or not you're ready or whether or not you're not. So step number one is the pastor of a strong and stable local church. Step number two is a person to be sent. Step number three is a place to be sent. This is not a super complicated sermon. I'm just giving you a structured, organized system of how missions and church planning is meant to be run according to the Bible. So there's a pastor of a strong and stable local church. There's a person to be sent from the local church. And there is the place to be sent. The Bible says this in Titus 1 verse 4. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now, he says he left him specifically in Crete, and he says there's things that are wanting. What is he saying? He's saying there's a need. There's people that are waiting for a bona fide church. And around the world, we find ourselves in a situation where there are people that gather together and they don't have a pastor or an organized church and they're trying to do the best they can. And God bless those people. They don't have a church. I mean, in other parts, other parts of the world are not like the United States. In the United States, there are decent churches that you can go to that are at least right in the gospel within an hour away. I've been a member of churches that are not like this church, and obviously I'm not, I, I didn't stay a member of those churches, but they were decent churches. They had soul winning. They're right in the gospel. It's not like that in other parts of the world. I mean, look online for the great churches all throughout Europe. They don't exist. Even in the Philippines, which is a very common area where missionaries are sent, many members of our church said we couldn't find a church that's right on the gospel in our area. Pretty much every missionary, it seems like, is a repentance of sins person and hardcore Calvinist. Pretty much every single Baptist that is out there. Now, I know there's exceptions, but in general, that's the way it is. In the Philippines, it's probably a very you know, common area for good churches compared to other areas. But even in the Philippines, there are not a lot of good churches. People have nowhere to go to. And what the Bible says here is the things that are wanting, and the idea is this, you go to an area where there's a need where there's people that are ready for it. For example, what was the first church started by this church? Verity Baptist Church, Vancouver. Why? Well, there was a group of people. It's like 30 or 40 people came to the Red Hot Preaching Conference and they're ready for a church. And of course, you know, God worked these things out. So, I mean, it was, it was obviously on God's desire for a church to be started there. 
And you know what? It's like there's a group of people, things are wanting. But every once in a while, somebody emails the church and their heart's in the right place. And I understand it. They're like, man, can you send somebody here to start a church? But there's not enough people. There's not a group of people like that. So the church was started in Vancouver, Washington. You say, why? Things are wanting. Then, of course, and and honestly, my memory is kind of fuzzy. I don't remember if Manila or Boise was next, to be honest. But in Boise, there's a group of people waiting for a church. And even in Manila, we were originally planning to go to Pampanga, my wife's home province, but we went to Manila. You say, why? There was more people ready for the church. I mean, I grew up in West Virginia. Living in Metro Manila is not the first thing of places I would choose to live. It's very different than West Virginia, right? But there was people ready for the church. And then after that, we were able to start churches in other areas such as Pampanga and Beacle as well. Or you think of Verity Baptist Church Fresno. Why start a church there, which is now, of course, Hold Fast Baptist? Because there was people traveling hours to come to church from there. There was a need in that specific area. So it makes sense. And when we're talking about doing missions and church planning, we need to be logical. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not trying to insult, you know, Old IFB type churches, but oftentimes logic kind of goes out the door to emotion in these situations and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A lot of people go to mission fields that just are not going to be successful. They say, well, I saw an area, there's no pastor there and I felt a need. For example, you could watch a video of Kim Jong-un. Say, man, I feel bad for the people of North Korea. I'm going to be a missionary to North Korea. Does that make the most sense? I'm not saying emotion cannot play a part in it, but it's got to be logical. It has to make sense. Man, I watched a video on Islam and Mecca. I'm going to start a church in Mecca. (laughs) Now, I'm using over-the-top examples to prove a point, but what I'm saying is when we're talking about starting churches, why not start a church where there's people ready for the church? Why not start a church where there's people that are ready? When we started in Manila, we had in the mid-20s. Mid to high-20s was our church attendance to start out. I mean, that's not a mega church, but there's people there. From day one, it's like on Sunday, we have the services. It's like, all right, now we go out soul winning. We had a group of people going out soul winning from day one in that area. You know, there's other parts of the Philippines. There's probably not anybody ready for the church. It wouldn't really make the most sense to start in an area where there is nobody. And what he says here is, the things that are wanting. There is a need, there is a demand. Go, to, go back to Acts 1. Acts 1. And so look, when it comes to starting churches and sending out missionaries, it, it needs to be logical. It needs to make sense. There are plenty of areas in the world where it makes no sense to start a church. You're gonna die within a few months. There's just not an open door. I mean, Paul speaks about areas that do have an open door. There's some, there is no open door. You're not going to be able to start a church. And it's not just Muslim countries. There's other countries as well where, you know, for example, in Russia, it is illegal to go soul winning. It's probably not the best place to start a church. You say, but Brother Saki, I want to reach reach the people of Russia. Go to West Sac. (laughs) Right? Now, here's why you don't want to go there, because it's not that receptive. Right? But it's like you're not going to be killed if you go to West Sac. I'm just saying we got to be logical with how we're doing this. It can't just be emotion. Emotion can play a part in it. I get that. I'm not saying make it completely devoid of emotion or where you want to go, but it's got to be logical. It has to make sense, and not all areas really make a whole lot of sense. Acts 1, verse 8. This is kind of the text verse for, for missions here in the Bible. Acts 1, verse 8. 
But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Bible talks about starting in Jerusalem. And the idea is when you get a bona fide church in Jerusalem, you know what you're going to start to see? People are going to actually travel to be a part of that church. And once they're traveling, it's like, well, maybe we should start branching out to those other areas. At our churches in the Philippines, you know, if you know anything about Metro Manila, there's not a whole lot of traffic on Sundays. Everybody goes to their local Catholic church right next door. During the week, though, there is a ton of traffic. It makes San Francisco look like nothing, I would say. Right? And so what happens is we have people that come to our church on Sundays, and it takes them two hours to get there. Now, if they were to get there during the week for the midweek service, it would take them like six hours. So they can't come to the midweek service because it's so far away. But what it shows is areas where there's a need. And those are areas that we're kind of looking at and saying, if we have enough people, then there would be an idea to try to start something there slowly. We have a, church, we have a, a, a once-a-month church in Cavite, which is a couple hours south of Metro Manila. We're not ready to, to, to have it every single week, but we have people that come from a couple hours on Sunday to come to church, and it, it's kind of showing us, hey, in, in the future, we see a need. We see an area where things that are wanting. Right, we, we have a young man, you, the, the, other, the other white guy in the video besides me in the Philippines, okay? You know who I'm talking about. You know, he's from Eastern Europe. His German and Polish are his first languages. And he came and moved to our church from over four years ago, about four years ago. And, you know, it was actually easier to move to the Philippines than, than other countries. He's able to get work because there's a lot of overseas Filipino workers. So he is a German teacher. And so that's what he does in the Philippines to help prepare people that are going to go over to Germany to, to be nurses or whatever career. And he, had, he told me he had a desire before he moved of, of you know, becoming a pastor one day in Poland. And here's the thing. Things are wanting in Poland. You know, Pastor Ian uh, Taverner, you know, from the UK, was Sure Foundation UK. I, I, I can't remember his, the name of his new church. But, you know, he just became a pastor just a couple weeks ago, Right. He did a soul winning event or a slash preaching baptism event in Poland. There's like 60 people that got baptized. I don't even know how you do that. I, you know, I try to work out, but you know, after 20 people, I think I'd be like, man, I, I need to take a break. But things are wanting. Now, he told me about his desire. I had no idea that there was people in Poland that are looking for a church, but you know, it actually makes a lot of sense. Things are wanting. You know, there's a lot of areas in, in, in Europe that probably don't make a whole lot of sense in 2023. So what we're talking about is logically doing missions. And what the Bible's saying in Acts 1 verse 8, it said Jerusalem, then eventually it goes to Judea and you're branching out in Samaria and eventually to the uttermost part of the earth as more interest is coming out. So basically you slowly branch out. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. You know, and since I'm a missionary, you know, people actually send me videos from different Baptists talking about missions and church planning. So I watch a lot of videos on the topic. I want to be educated on what people say. I want to be open-minded to what people say. But what I'm talking about is just being very logical. And so when it comes to the pastor of a strong and stable local church and the person being sent, one thing I advise people that have a desire to go in the ministry, visit the church ahead of time and talk to the pastor. Because some churches, quite honestly, they don't really want to send people out to start churches. It's not really their goal. Before I moved here, you know, my wife and I, we visited here and we went out to eat with Pastor Menez and I told him what my goal was. 
And here's the thing, you know, he might have told me, no, I'm, I'm not going to ordain someone as a missionary, just not for me. And that's the way a lot of pastors probably feel. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong. That's the choice that they make. I'm just saying it's like you ask ahead of time. Be smart. You know, you go somewhere to get trained, talk to the pastor and find out, is this something that he even wants to do or, or would be willing to do? Because a lot of churches, they will not ordain people. It's just not something that they're interested in. It's a lot easier to send people to Bible college or some other system. And that's what they do at a lot of Baptist churches. Now, it's interesting he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, they expand greatly in Acts 2, but you know what? They're not starting churches in those areas yet. And notice this in Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Judea and Samaria were two of the four places mentioned in Acts 1, verse 8. Go to Acts 9. Acts 9. Acts 9. And as I'm speaking about doing things logically, here's the thing. It wouldn't make sense to send, you know, a a church of 100 people. We're just going to send like 40 people out. It wouldn't make sense because you need the strong and stable local church. But as the church gets bigger... You don't want to just have thousands of people without starting new churches. I mean, look, if God blesses this church as as you move to the new building and you pack it with 500 people, and that's great. More people hear the word of God, more people soul winning. I mean, it would be awesome. But of course, at that point, you'd expect more churches are getting started. You say, why? Because as we're growing and God is blessing us, we want to take some of that blessing and try to start a new great work. And that's something this church has done when it first started the church in Vancouver and then it started the churches in Boise and Fresno and Manila and the same mentality has been taken to start other churches as well. Acts 9, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out of Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarsus. Now notice this, in verse 31, then had the churches, not church, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, and Galilee, and Samaria. And were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. God said, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. They grew and had thousands of people, but they didn't do it. They didn't really listen. Then the persecution comes in Acts 8, and what do they do? They get spread out to Judea and Samaria. Then all of a sudden, what do you have? You have churches in those areas. It's kind of like, man, if they had spread out, maybe they wouldn't have needed so much persecution to get the job done, Right? What you're seeing is churches are now starting in other areas. You say, why? Because you need a place to be sent, and those areas were very much wanting as they get scattered to Judea and Samaria. You've got people that are part of a great church, and due to persecution, you've got hundreds of people living in Samaria. It's like, we don't have a church. So what makes sense? Start a church there for those people, right? Turn your Bible to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 
and I would also say this, when it comes specifically to missions, I think it makes sense to start churches on the mission field that are in areas that are receptive, where you're going to get a lot of people saved. I'm not saying churches can't be started in other areas, but I'm just saying it's exciting for the sending church. It's like, man, the church that we started is getting a lot of people saved. What if my weekly reports were zero? Zero. Zero. It's a bit deflating, isn't it? But there are areas of the world that are extremely receptive to the gospel. The Philippines is one of those areas. For those that were at the missions trip several years ago, you, you give the gospel to a lot of people. A lot of people are interested. It's an area that is very receptive. It's not like that everywhere in the world. There are areas that are just not that receptive. And when we're speaking about logically, let's just be honest with this. Churches that are in the U.S. and Europe and Australia, Australia, those are areas that probably have more money than other countries in the world. I'm just being honest with logic here. Obviously, in the Philippines, the average salary is a lot lower than the average salary here. And honestly, the Philippines is really not that poor of a country. It's more like middle of the road compared. There's a lot of very poor areas of this world. Obviously, a very poor country is not really going to be able to finance great and mighty works. And living in a country that has more money, what that also means is it's generally less receptive, right? The United States is less receptive than the Philippines. You know, I'm I'm sure that in this room, I've probably gotten more people saved than anybody in this room this year, but that's not because I'm doing more work or more zealous. It's just I'm in a more receptive area. It's just a lot easier. So what you're seeing is countries that have more money, they're not going to be as receptive, but they have the capacity to invest in areas that are receptive, which is why the United States over the last, you know, I don't know how many years, hundreds of years, 200 years, it's really been the country, it replaced the UK as being the country that's sending missionaries all over the world. And and part of it is just because the United States can fund it better than other countries. And what those churches are saying is, you know what? We've been blessed. We're in a good position. What we're going to do is use that and invest in other works and help people in other parts of the world. Now, it's interesting because I would say the U.S. has more good churches than any country in the world. Probably has a higher percentage of people saved than any country in the world. But it's not really the most receptive as you're going door-to-door soul winning compared to other parts of the world. But a church in the U.S. can invest in areas in other parts of the world that are receptive. It's logical. It makes sense. Point number one is the pastor of a strong and stable local church. Point number two is the person to be sent. Point number three is the place to be sent. Point number four is the people of the sending church. And honestly, everything was introduction to this point. This is the main thing I want to focus on because I want to help everybody in this room to realize what is your part in missions? The people in the sending church because, you know, it's, it's the other side of the world, right? I mean, the flight was 11 hours from Taiwan to San Francisco. It's a long ways away. And realistically, many of you are never going to make it over to the Philippines because it's expensive. It's a long journey. I mean, it is a very, very difficult flight. We want you to come in February, but I am just being honest with you. It is a a rough flight. Let Let me help you out with a tip, though. If you're going on a long flight, call the airline several months in advance and ask for the bassinet crib because you get a lot more space and it makes the flight a lot easier. Okay, that's we learned that several years ago. Just a quick tip. If you're going with kids, 
on a long journey, whether it's domestic or international, call and ask for the bassinet crib. They usually have a couple places, but specific places where you will be seated. That way the, the infant can sleep and that way mom and dad can sleep, right? Anyways, that's the side point, okay? But I want to talk to you that are the people of the sending church. How do you invest in missions? What is your part in missions? Because you might feel like you have nothing to do with it. And honestly, that's not the case at all. Because it goes back to point number one. What was point one? The pastor of a strong and stable local church. You are part of the strength of this church. You are part of the stability of this church. If this church wasn't strong and stable, there would be no Verity Baptist Church Manila. There would be no Verity Baptist Church Pampanga. There wouldn't be a sure foundation, right? None of those churches would start unless this church is strong and stable. And as this church is strong and stable, it gives the capacity to invest in other work. And you take part in that. You say, Brother Suggy, so what can I do to help you on the mission field? Point number one, go to church. Go to your local church. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look, the Bible says, go to church. Don't forsake the assembly. You say, well, I don't feel like going to church. Yeah, but you know what? Your life's not about you. Let us consider one another. First reason to go to church is not because of what you want, but because of people that want you there. Don't forsake the assembly. And as you make this a strong and stable local church, it gives the capacity for Verity Baptist Church Sacramento to invest in other works. Go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. Look, my family is 100% financially supported by Verity Baptist Church Sacramento. Our family is not rich. We're not poor. Right, this church is very generous to support our needs. And, and you know, quite honestly, I, I'm just being, being honest with you. When, when we lived here, you know, for people that knew the house that we bought when we lived in Sacramento, I'll be honest, you know, you start to get uh, some feelings of, you know, envy at people that have nicer houses than you. And honestly, our house was plenty big for us. But you start comparing yourselves to other people, right? One of the enemies of contentment, right? If you remember that sermon series, right? And quite honestly, you get pretty humbled when you move to a country like the Philippines because a lot of people's houses are, are nowhere near as nice as that. And I, I'm glad because it caused me to appreciate, you know, what I do have and what God has blessed me with because there's always people that have less than you. And so, you know, what, what, what I'm trying to tell you is this, this, this church, I mean, it, it does generously support me and, and our needs are 100% funded by this church. It is a huge blessing in our life. Here's the thing. If this church fell apart tomorrow, it's going to be tough in the Philippines. I don't know what we're going to do. If there, and this is not going to happen, but if this church just fell apart overnight, it's like, I don't know. We'd have to figure out what to do with the churches. I mean, how to financially support stuff because it would be hard. Life's expensive, especially when you have, you know, three young kids. Right? And so here's the thing. I'm not a missionary that is supported by a hundred different Baptist churches. I'm supported by one church. Now, I'm not saying that, that nobody ever sends us money. We have people that send us money from time to time, which is a huge blessing, but I'm 100% supported by this church. Amen. So here's the thing. I am your missionary. Amen. 
I'm 100% supported by Verity Baptist Church. You know, other Baptist churches, they will have a, uh, a, a, a picture on the wall of the entire earth and they'll have like safety pins or something in all the countries that they have missionaries. And there'll be like 50 safety pins on the, on the wall. Not 50 safety pins of people they support 100%, but 50 people they send some money to. Here's the thing. It's not like that at Verity Baptist Church. Because what I'm explaining is that's not really the system that God has in the Bible. The system is churches beget churches. And so you get sent out of the local church. So instead of supporting 50 missionaries, you support one missionary. Now, and eventually, hopefully more, if this church is strong and stable and blessed. What I'm trying to express to you is all the work that I'm doing in the Philippines, you are involved in that work when you come to church three to thrive. And I get it. And, and you know, point number, two, point number two of this is soul winning. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. You know, one of my big prayers for this church, and I'm sure one of the big prayers for Pastor Menez, is more laborers to do the work. You know, you say, well, we got 100 people. You know, it, it, it's not enough. Sacramento's a, a big city. You know, you need more people to do the work and go out soul winning and get people saved. And look, I get it. When you go out soul winning in here, it's not always receptive. You show up for Saturday, and it's like North Natomas. West Sack. I get it. I understand that. I mean, I was a member here for several years. Right? And, and, and even the areas around this church, once you knock them time after time, they, they're not as receptive as they used to be because you've already gotten people saved. We actually run into the same thing in the Philippines. On, on days of special events, we just go near the church and people know us. Right? And so they're not happy to see us. They're like, no, 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 we're not interested. Right? What I'm trying to say is this, I get it. Sometimes you can feel defeated because it doesn't seem that receptive, but I want you to realize all the work that you are doing here is a part of the work in the Philippines. As you make this a strong and stable local church, you allow me and my family and our churches to thrive in the Philippines. We happen to be in the receptive area, and obviously Sacramento is not as receptive as the Philippines. My wife and I, we went soul winning Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we were paired up with different families, which is basically six sets of soul winning. Zero salvations. I gave the gospel once. They didn't get saved. Brother Oliver gave the gospel in Spanish. They didn't get saved. And so between those soul winning, none. But of course, I mean, people are still getting saved. I mean, it's not as many as we're getting in the Philippines, but people are still getting saved. But even outside of that, as you make this a strong and stable local church, and slowly people are added to the church, you are actually investing in the work in, in the Philippines, whether you realize that or not. Because you need a strong and stable local church to be able to fund a mission like that. Go in your Bible to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. What I'm trying to help you understand is, is that you're not just completely separated and devoid from the mission field. Consider this your mission field. You're Jerusalem. 
Sacramento, consider this your mission field. And as you reach Jerusalem, it helps Verity Baptist Church reach the uttermost parts of the earth by this being a strong and stable local church. Matthew 4, verse 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. God says that, you know, what Jesus says is, if you're following me, you will be a fisher of men. Which means that if you're not a fisher of men and you're not an active soul winner, then you are not what? Following God. That is a harsh reality, but it is a reality nonetheless that the Bible is very clear about here in Matthew chapter 4. Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So go to church. Go soul winning. Have a personal walk with God. Have a personal walk with God. Ephesians 4 verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Every day you put off the old man and put on the new man. Salvation is a one-time thing, but serving God is a daily walk where every day you make that decision to walk in the new man, walk in the spirit, and not walk in the flesh and the old man. He said, Brother Stucky, I'm so touched by the work you're doing. How can I help you in the mission field? Come to church three times a week here. Go soul winning here. And not just me, maybe in the future, this church can support even bigger projects and you are investing in the work by what you are doing here. This is not the most receptive area in the world, but the United States financially is really the one that can actually finance stuff. So the idea is God has blessed us and we're going to use that blessing to try to help reach other areas. And that's what this church has done. This church has started many different churches and, and for me, myself, I am still and will continue to still be 100% supported by this church. And so I am still going to be your missionary. And what I'm saying is, if you want to help me, stay faithful here. Don't be someone who grows weary in well-doing. Don't be, get, don't be a demis and get caught up with worldliness. Stay faithful to Verity Baptist Church Sacramento. And by doing that, you are actually going to help get rewards for yourself for the work done in other areas. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me give you some statistics of, of some of the numbers we have in the Philippines for salvations, attendance, and things like that. And our four points, just to remind you, and I'll, I'll have a conclusion here. Number one, you need the pastor of a strong and stable local church. You need the person to be sent. You need the place to be sent but we need the people of the sending church. We need you to stay faithful to help us keep doing the work that we're doing. You are in a harder mission field than me, but I look at everyone as being a missionary because everybody has their mission field in the area God has called them to. And if you are here, this is your mission field and take it seriously. And look, by all means, come to the mission trip on February, but do not come and then not go soul winning here. Make sure you stay faithful soul winning here. Whether or not you're getting a lot of people saved or whether or not it's week after week after week where it's like, man, I didn't get anybody saved. Because you are doing the work that is helping funding a lot of people getting saved. In 2020, 2021, we counted between our churches in the Philippines 9,160 salvations. Basically about 180 per week. Now, 
Here's what I'll say. You know, my honest opinion is that pretty much any church that counts numbers, they're always probably a little bit higher the number you count than the actual number because there's false converts. Some people are newer at soul winning. But what I can honestly say is that when I go soul winning with the men of Verity Baptist Church Manila and Verity Baptist Church Pampanga, they explain eternal security in depth. Now, here's the thing. Some people, when we first started, they, they were listening online. And when they first started, they weren't really doing that. And then they learned like, oh man, I should start explaining eternal security. Make sure that, that they understand that you can never lose it. And so what I'd say is we do have thorough soul winning in the Philippines. The members of our church are actually pretty thorough preaching the gospel. 9,160 salvations. In 2022, 11,653. As of the end of August 2023, 7,964, so just under 1,000 salvations per month between our churches in the Philippines. Now, that sounds like a really high number to you, especially as it's a much harder mission field here. And what it really averages out to is two to three salvations per soul winner per week. That's what it averages out to. Which in a receptive area, you know, it's not really that crazy. There are a lot of people at our church that are very zealous. They might go soul winning, you know, throughout the week and, and they, they go soul winning like 10 hours throughout the week and it results in, you know, another 10 or 15 salvations, right? The, ever since we moved to the Philippines, I've given Pastor Men as a weekly report of the work that's being done in the Philippines. Attendance, offerings, soul winners, salvations, and all of these things. When we started, as I said, we started in the mid to high 20s of people. And like any bona fide church anywhere in the world, it takes time to build something that's actually a good, true church. The last weekly report I gave Pastor Menez at our church just in Manila, we had 81 in attendance. Basically, triple the size of when we started. Now, honestly, we're a little bit lower than that usually, usually in the 70s, but basically we're two and a half to three times as big as when we started. Now, 81 is not 279 like on the anniversary. 81 is not like 190 or whatever the attendance is tonight. And, and I'm not saying we're at, at the same number, but I'm saying that's 81 people that, that you are personally invested into. Some of the people that you saw in this video, 81, and, and that's not just a, a random number. I mean, it's like we've had over 81 before. You know, at, at a big day, we had 107, you know, I think was our Easter attendance. And, you know, and honestly, our building, we don't have any more room for people. We're packed at the area we're at, just like you are packed here in Sacramento. 81 in Manila, and between our other two churches, another 45, so 126 total people in church from the last report that I gave, you know, for the last week that we were there. Now, what's interesting in the Philippines, as I mentioned earlier, is there's not really good churches everywhere, and so what we've been wanting to do and what we have done is start churches that are smaller because they don't have anywhere to go. And so we have churches in both Pampanga and Bicol that are running in the 20s. They're not big churches, but that's what we started with in Manila as well. And then it eventually grew also. Of the 126 people in church, 84 went soul winning. Exactly two out of three. And that is very typical. We're always over 50% of our members go soul winning. This is not just, well, we've got some children's ministry and hundreds of people, but no, we got people that read the Bible every single day, just like you read the Bible every day. We've got people that go soul winning every single week, just like you go soul winning every week. People that are actually trying to serve God. In that video, you saw people that have, have changed their lives as a result of the work that you have done here and the work that we are now doing in the Philippines. 
84 soul winners, which resulted in 215 salvations. Basically, 2.5 salvations per person. In the Philippines, there are a lot of holidays. And so on holidays, we have soul winning marathons oftentimes. And that also helps our numbers. We get a lot of people saved in those days because people are at the parks. And it's a little bit different than here. You walk up to a park and there's just a bunch of people sitting around and you can talk to a bunch of people and get a lot of people saved. And we also had five baptisms the last week we were there. Now, I wish I could tell you we had five baptisms every week. That's not the case, but it was exciting to have five people and a new family just join the church at our church in Manila. So those are the numbers. And here's the thing. You are invested in that work. That is what I want you to understand here tonight. Because I am the missionary of Verity Baptist Church and you being faithful to this church, you are investing in that. And if you weren't faithful, then I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing in the Philippines. And we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing in the Philippines. And I want to end with 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Bible says in verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You're not rewarded based on the amount of people you get saved. You're rewarded based on the work that you do. So here's the thing, just because you don't get as many people saved as we get in the Philippines, you can be just as rewarded as me, even though you're probably not going to get as many people saved. You say, why? Because it's rewarded based on the work you do. You can't help if the area you live in is more or less receptive. But what you can help is whether or not you come soul winning on Saturday, whether or not you come to church three times a week, whether or not you wake up and read your Bible. And you're rewarded based on the work you've done. And in another part of the Bible, Jesus talks about entering into labors done by other people. I freely admit that the work we're doing in the Philippines, we are just entering into the labors done, not just by Pastor Menes, but by the members here. Number one, there was people at the church from day one. They weren't there because of me. They were there because of the Verity Baptist name. They knew who Pastor Menes was. They, they, they knew their doctrines. They wanted a church just like this. I mean, there's literally been people in the video you saw that for 10 years, they were praying for a church just like this. Right? You know, one, one of my good friends in the Philippines, it's like he started listening online in 2009, even before this church started. And he got saved through the online ministry. And then, you know, he's been waiting and praying year after year after year for a church. In the Philippines, there's actually a lot of online listeners that are waiting for a church just like this. And what we're doing is just entering into the labors of what you've done and what Pastor Jimenez has done. And see, what I'm trying to tell you is you are involved in the work that's being done there. It's not just, well, Brother Sucky's over there, he's doing his own thing, and we're completely not. No, no, actually, you're involved every single week as you're coming faithfully to church. And I want you to realize this, as your missionary, it's not just Brother Stucky's doing his thing and we're completely separated. No, no, you're actually involved in the work when you're faithful to this church. You know, this, this past week, and also in the Philippines, a lot of people have asked me, what's the name of the church going to be? That's why you're here tonight, right? <laughs> you don't want to hear me preach. You just want to know what the name of the church is, Right? And you know what, you know, many years ago when, uh, and I'm not going to tell you, no, just kidding. 
When uh, Pastor Bruce Mejia, you know, started his church, you know, when he's ordained as a pastor, I love what he did because he named his church First Works Baptist Church, but I love keeping the acronym FWBC. And so what I've told people is the hint is it's VBC, right? It starts with a V. That's been my plan for a long time. So that kind of narrows it down to, you know, various different possibilities. And when it comes to V, there's a lot of different possibilities that came up as I thought about this, you know, over the last year. You know, one thing that popped up to my head is, is Victory. I actually, I like the name Victory. The only problem is there's a massive non-denominational church in the Philippines called Victory. So that's off the list. I thought the name Vision was pretty good. I like the name Vision. It also sounds maybe a bit too non-denominational. So I decided not for the name Vision, Right. And, you know, honestly, I, I really love the name Valiant, but I, I believe in the Trinity, right? I'm not a oneness Baptist, right? So Valiant was off the list. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure somebody will fill you in after the service. I, I thought of the name Vigilant. I mean, that's actually the first thing mentioned in that group of categories. You know, that was a name I thought about for a while, like Vigilant would be a great name. You know, that's something that the Bible says, you know, be vigilant as a leader, and you know, honestly, that was the name that was in my head for a while. And I remember somebody visited, you know, the Philippines and he was soul winning with us. And he asked me, hey, what, what's the name going to be of the church when you get ordained? And I just told him, well, it's going to start with a V. I haven't decided, but it's going to start with a V. And he said, the only thing I can think of that starts with a V is Valor. And I was thinking, I've never thought about that name. And, you know, honestly, I was like, man, I actually really like that name. And so in my mind, I had Vigilant. I had Valor, Valor, I should say. But then a new name popped to my head about six months ago. And it was right in front of my face the whole time. And I thought about it. And I actually talked to Pastor Menes. We've had many conversations about it. And, and, and here's the thing. On Sunday, I will be ordained 100% independently of Verity Baptist Church, which means I don't need approval of my sermons or how I run the ministry there. I'm ordained independently as a pastor. But I'm still 100% financially supported by Verity Baptist Church. So I thought... What about just keeping the name Verity Baptist Church? Because I want everybody here to realize I am your missionary and you are involved in the work there. Now, I understand, you know, you do something out of the box. People are like, oh, but actually, that's, that's actually pretty common in different parts of the world. You start churches with the same name. So it's not like it's something, but it's like I, I, we're doing that because of the fact I'm your missionary. And you know what? I, I thought of it. I talked to Pastor Menes about it. I'm happy to be linked with Verity Baptist Church. I hope you're happy to be linked with the work we're doing in the Philippines. Amen. I was like, you know, why not keep the name the same so you can realize, hey, this is our missionary. This is the work that he's doing. And you know what? You are actually partaking in that by being faithful to this church. So the new church name is actually not a new name at all. It's Verity Baptist Church. We're actually going to be keeping the same name. And I want to end, it with, end with just one thought and, and, and just of what I'm talking about of this not necessarily being the most receptive area. You know, sometimes you do things and you don't realize the impact you're having. One of the things that's really blessed me this week was, you know, because I, I transcribed the sermons for the prison ministry. And honestly, I didn't know what the result or fruit of it was. And there's been, you know, a couple of young men that have came to me. They told me that they got reached through the prison ministry. And honestly, you know, I, I usually transcribe the sermons, you know, on, on Mondays in the Philippines. And, you know, you, you kind of do it. You don't realize it's having any impact. You feel like, ah, is anyone even reading this? Is there a point? Does it have an impact? And I come here and I'll be honest, it, it, it touched my heart and blessed me. I was like, man, Amen. Amen. 
that labor is actually having a big impact. And I want you to realize the labor that you do when you go soul winning and you stay faithful to church and you read the Bible, it's having a big impact whether you realize it or not. You're actually partaking in all the work that we are doing in the Philippines. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today and I ask you to help us to understand the sermon and, and understand a little bit more about missions and church planning. And I ask you to help everyone in this church realize that they are involved in what we're doing in the Philippines by being faithful to this church, God. Help everyone in this church to stay faithful, keep reading their Bibles, keep soul winning, and we just uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn your songbooks, page number 1.